Hey, this is Paul Doherty. I'm the pastor of Victory Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today on the podcast. I hope this message inspires you. I hope it builds your faith. I hope it reminds you that God is not finished with you yet, and your best days are right in front of you. Enjoy the message. This week, I've had this urge in my heart to talk about mental and emotional health, that our mind and our heart, the inside you, is such an important factor into where your life goes. And mental and emotional health are such an untalked about topic in the church, and it's time the church breaks the silence. It's time we start talking about something that's affecting our nation, the world, and a lot of believers out there. And I'll tell you where this message really got birthed is just this last week, I saw on the news and on social media the story of a young pastor, and it hits so close to home because this young pastor He took over his dad's church. His father had passed away, and he took on the pressure of of continuing the legacy. And somewhere along the lines of of continuing it, he he was battling his own feelings of depression, mental illness, depression. We're going to define depression here in just a moment. But with that, it just kept going, and he kept trying to fight it, and just last week, On a Saturday, the day before he would preach on a Sunday, they were in their series that was on a series on mental health. And um, this man took his life at the age of of 30 years old, left behind three young boys, a young wife. I posted this picture, I think we have it, on social media because it so struck me, the stark similarities of this family. I thought, you know, any of us are one choice away. Any of us are, like... We're all in the same playing field here. We're all trying to do the best with the hand we've been dealt. And I just could see like, man, this young pastor took over his dad's church, the pressure, the the trying to raise children, the the feelings of whatever, not measuring up to his father's um, um, big shoes that he had to fill, whatever it was that drove him to this place, it broke my heart. I found myself this last week literally just like welling up with tears multiple times as I looked at this picture that was being spread across social media and I thought, Lord, Lord, we've gotta talk about this. Because this year it seems like there's been more public things that have been you know, on the news. And by the way, that story was shared across the news outlets. And so the world is asking the question, is it possible to be a follower of Jesus and still battle depression? Does depression actually not discriminate also against pastors and priests Is it something that every human in the world has to battle against? And the answer is yes. It is possible to be a fully devoted follower of Christ, totally believe in God, and yet still deal and battle against depression. We have to talk about this because I think sometimes we think, no, 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 it's not possible. They must not be a follower of Christ. Well, then you would have to exclude Elijah, the prophet from the Bible, as not a true follower of God because guess what? Elijah was suicidal and he was depressed. You would have to exclude the greatest king of Israel besides Jesus, and that would be King David, because even David faced this. You would have to exclude the book of Jonah from the Bible and the book of Jeremiah. You would even have to exclude Isaiah, because even these prophets 
walked through despair and depression and discouragement and this mental attack on the mind and the heart. And Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Where your thoughts go, your life goes. Where your heart goes, your life follows. The mind and the heart are mentioned thousands of times in Scripture. They are the most talked about parts of our body in the Bible. God has a lot to say about your mind and your heart. Because he knows, and God cares more about your inside than your outside. God cares more about your inside than your outside. In our world, we spend a lot of time on the external features. We take better care of our hair than we do our heart, right? We got products to make our hair grow, to make our hair shine, to get the shimmer, to get that nice, suave look. We got the, the products to make our hair look thin and strong and puffy and all those kinds of things you want to do. We've got products to make our skin look great. Uh, we got tanning beds and tanning salons. We got everything that tries to help the external, right? You go get manicures and pedicures and uh, maybe not the men in the room, but the women. Uh, you go and do all these things to make your body look great and to take care of your body. And then men, oh, we take care of our cars, Oh, we really, I mean, we detail those cars, want to make it shine, want to get the internal engine revved up, want to make it sound good, shampoo the inside, clean the outside. Then we take care of our houses. Oh, we even pay, some of us in this room will pay for a cleaner to come and clean the inside of our house. We want that house, that house to look good. We pay big money for alarm systems and gates. Our world is consumed with protecting the outside and completely ignoring the inside. We're better at protecting our cars than protecting our minds. And so millions of people are dealing with this internal battle against depression. So in 2010, 253 million prescriptions of antidepressants were given out. Just to put that in context, that was just in the nation of America. There's only 311 million people in America. Two-thirds of our nation is struggling with depression. And it's at a higher rate than it's ever been. By the way, since 2010, every year it's increased 30%. PTSD, anxiety, stress, veterans, all kinds of different ages and reasons that people are dealing with this battle against depression. It's not just teenagers, it's grandpas, it's grandmas, it's moms, it's dads. It does not discriminate against race or age and it's time we start talking about it. And it just happens to fall on Labor Day weekend. <laughs> I love you though. And I think the first thing you need to know is you're not alone. You're not alone. The truth is the devil loves to whisper this to people that are battling against depression. You're the only one dealing with this. None of your friends, definitely not anyone in the church, so don't bring it up. And yet we have pastors that are dealing with this. The only reason I can even talk about this from the boldness that I'm going to talk about it today is because I've walked through this. And I'm gonna share my story, but I'll tell you one of the first lies the enemy whispers to anyone dealing with depression is you are alone. You're the only one dealing with this. And so it drives people into isolation. And so we come to church, but we get in and out fast. And we definitely don't join a connect group. And we definitely don't open up. And we definitely aren't gonna linger and actually talk about our feelings to anybody because we don't want anyone to know. So we isolate ourselves. It's a symptom of depression, isolation. Number two, your faith is not broken. I wanna get these things out right here in the beginning as we're talking about this. Your faith is not broken just because you're dealing with depression. Guess who else dealt with it? 
not only a dozen people from the Bible that God used and loved and used them even through their depression, but even people after that. Martin Luther dealt with this. Was his faith broken? No. Mother Teresa dealt with depression. Was Mother Teresa's faith broken? No. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest revivalists of his time, dealt with this. Saint Bernard, we could go through the list of saints and preachers and revivalists and great leaders, heroes. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., people that got up and did great things and changed history and, 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 and brought revival in their time. And they all dealt with these feelings internally, battling depression. So your, your faith is not broken. God can still use you. God does not look at you with disgust and say, you need to get saved again just because you're battling against depression. It's possible to be a follower of Christ and still battle with mental health. And thirdly, God is still for you. He offers to walk with you. God is for, this is good news, church. This is good news. When Elijah in 1 Kings 19 was walking through his depression and his suicidal thoughts, Elijah said, Lord, my dead ancestors in the grave are better off than I am. Take me now. Those were the words of the prophet Elijah right after he called fire down from heaven. And guess what? God doesn't look at Elijah and go, you're excommunicated from the church. You haven't been reading your Bible enough, Elijah. I don't want to talk to you anymore. God doesn't shun Elijah. He doesn't kick him out of the church. He doesn't kick him out of the connect group. He doesn't get mad at him. He doesn't hit him or slap him. In fact, God whispers to Elijah, come closer in your depression. Come closer to me. In your suicidal thoughts, come closer. I'm not disgusted by you, Elijah. I'm not kicking you out. I'm not done with you. I'm no longer going to use you on the worship team or in the ministry. I still have a plan for you. So God is for you even in the midst of your mental or emotional unhealthiness. And God wants to walk with you. And he wants to help you walk out of that depression. And fourthly, depression is not just a spiritual issue. So I've heard people say, well, they just need more of Jesus. They just need to read their Bible more. And I don't mean to be sacrilegious, but I think even Jesus would say they also need to sleep and they need to wake up and they need to have some exercise in their life and they need to eat some food. Because one of the first remedies God gives Elijah in his suicidal depressed state is not go read your Bible. Actually, God says, Elijah, go get something to eat. Read it. Read 1 Kings 19 later today or this week. God's first remedy for Elijah is not a spiritual remedy. It's a natural remedy. This is why I have so much respect for Christian psychologists and Christian counselors like Dr. Tim Peterson right here in our church. If you are a Christian counselor, would you stand? I want to cheer on those that have decided to take on the profession of Christian counseling, Christian psychology. If you do it in a school or at a yes. Yes, we need you. We need more of you. And I want to say this. We need to realize if we have a family member that's battling mental health, one of the worst things we can say is, well, you just need to go read your Bible more. We need to say, hey, you should go see a Christian counselor. You, have, you, have you been exercising lately? Have you been getting out of your house? Have you been sleeping enough? Have, like, is there other remedies? Because the Bible, the first two remedies God gave Elijah were not spiritual remedies. They were go eat something and go get something to drink. Is that spiritual or is that natural? Natural, right, because non-Christians go eat and get something to drink. Uh, so it's not, a, no, no, well, it was a spiritual drink and spiritual angel cake, right, that Elijah ate. 
<laughs> for all the theologians in the room that are just over-spiritualizing everything. No, no, man, it was, it was real food. It was real food. Because sometimes depression drains your appetite, and sometimes the best first thing to do is not go memorize a new scripture, but go eat at Ron's Hamburgers with a friend. Okay, we'll make it healthy. Go to Whole Foods and spend $20 on a sandwich. <laughs> Come on, man, they be stealing from us. <laughs> sometimes one of the best remedies for depression is go hang out with some friends. Go on, go on a vacation with your family. Go to the lake, go on a walk. And we gotta be careful how we're talking about this because it's more than just giving people, you know, a few little, like read your Bible and pray and, and go to church. There's a, there's a variety of things that are gonna help that person that just came back from, from serving in the Marines or in the Army and, and now they're trying to adjust to everyday life. That son of yours that's, that's coping through teenage years in high school and he's had bullying words on Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat and they don't know what to do and, and we can't just say, well, go read your Bible, 16-year-old son. We gotta say, hey, man, like, let's talk about this. Let's, let's have a grilled cheese sandwich and let's just talk about what's going on in your mind and your heart. One of the best things my mom did for me when I was walking through this was she sat down and she made me a grilled cheese sandwich and she said, talk to me about whatever's going on. I won't judge you. Man, that invitation right there meant everything. We gotta talk about where this starts. Where did it start for this young pastor? Where did it start for Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain? And the list goes on. Where did it start? Where does it begin? Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, guard your heart above all else. I think we got this scripture backwards right now. We're guarding everything else above our heart. We're guarding our kids. Some of us are over guarding our kids. Like, like we're just so over, but we don't want them to feel any type of wound or pain and, and we're so intense and, and we're guarding our spouse and we're, we're guarding you know, our cars and we're guarding our house, and, but we're not guarding our heart. And so we let anything in, offense hurts, words. There was an interview with one of the most famous celebrities of our time who is well known for his works that he has done in, in, the, in the industry that he's in. And by the way, there's a lot of celebrities speaking up on mental illness because almost 90% of celebrities are dealing with this right now. Which means that you can be the most famous person, you can have fame, you can have fortune, you can have all the pleasure you want. No restrictions in your life, which by the way is a pathway towards depression when you have no restrictions. You can have fame, fortune, pleasure, all of it and be battling depression. You can have a gate, an alarm system, you can have bodyguards, you can guard everything in your life. This celebrity said everything was guarded except for my mind. So he said I would open up my laptop and I would read reviews on my latest work that I had written and produced and been a part of and I would read those negative reviews and they got past the bodyguards, and they got past the alarm system, and they got past the locks on the doors and the gates and the gated community I lived in. Somehow those comments on YouTube, those comments on iTunes, those comments on Facebook, they came through all the alarm systems, and they got stuck in my heart. And he said, I spiraled into depression. What is depression? 
Let's talk about that. Depression is not just having a sad thought. So if you had a bad day or a sad thought, that does not mean you are depressed. Let's not let this message just convince all of us that we're walking through depression. If you've had a bad day in the last week or last month or a couple bad days or a couple of sad thoughts or even a depressing thought, doesn't mean you're depressed. Depression is when that sad thought is persistent on a daily basis. One person said it like this. This cloud had been coming past my life and then one day it just stayed there. And this heavy cloud, it was like it just sat for months over my head and my heart, this rain cloud. And it wouldn't go. It was a persistent thought of sadness on a daily. So this would be an extended period of time, 30, 40, 50 days, weeks, months go by, and you have not gotten rid of these sad feelings and thoughts, and it's a loss of interest. You, start being, you stop being interested in things you used to be interested in. You check out. There's people in this room. I'm, I'm praying in my spirit. There's people in this room. You know somebody. They might even be here. You can't remember the last time they were really awake. You, it's almost like it's been 15 years since you've seen them last. You see their body, and you're looking in their eyes, but it's been like 15 years since they've actually been here. You can be here and not be here. You can be at your job, be at church, be at your house, and not actually be there. And so Proverbs, through the inspiration of God, says, guard your heart, guard your heart, guard your heart. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Where the mind goes and the heart goes, the life follows. Where the mind and the heart goes, the feet go and the hands go and the eyes go and the ears go and the mouth speaks. Everything that's, your heart is an oven. Your mind is an oven. What is it cooking right now? What are you allowing to bake? What thing have you allowed to sit there? The hurt, the wound, the offense, the thing you won't even confront or reconcile. You want to sweep it under the rug. It's going to affect your mental health. It's going to affect your marriage, your relationships. The ultimate act of depression is what we've been seeing in the news. We have to talk about this because the Bible has a lot to say about it. The Bible has a lot to say about it. What are some of the symptoms that people walk through when they're walking through mental or emotional health? I think this is important to know. It's when somebody starts acting like somebody else. They stop being themselves. They start being a very different person. Their behavior changes and shifts. And it's a very noticeable shift in behavior. It, a person who's dealing with this becomes extremely moody. It's a constant roller coaster of moods. Now, I've been moody before in the past when I wasn't depressed. Like, I would throw fits as a kid. So I wasn't depressed. I just was, I was, you know, learning how to control my emotions. But it's when someone should be old enough to control their mood, and it's like every day that mood keeps going up and down and up and down and up and down for an extended period of time. That's not God's will for your life. Some of us have normalized depression, and we've kind of said, well, yeah, that's normal. No. God wants you to have joy. Not every other day. Not when you're up. <laughs> God wants you to have consistent peace. We've got to remember, what is God's will for my life? Not what is, what is society's norms today. What is two-thirds of our nation living like? You were not meant to live with a constant trigger of anger, an outburst of rage. And some days you're laughing and the next day it's just up and down and up and down. That's not God's 
plan. When there's a constant expression of hopelessness coming from your mouth, not just one day, we're talking like weeks and months where you just keep saying, man, my best days are behind me. I'm never gonna get out of this. I just feel like this is so big. I can't face this. I just can't face it. When you're saying those kinds of things, if you're somebody out there and you have a friend that's saying that, pay attention and be a good friend and call them out and say, hey, listen, that's not normal. You got, you got to change that. That's, let's talk about that. What's going on? Isolation is a symptom of depression when someone socially withdraws, a lack of self-care. Half of our nation will not, will not ever take a day off. There are more unused vacation days across companies worldwide. There are more hours of unused paid vacation days because people have this guilt that if I take a day off, I haven't earned it. I don't deserve it. I haven't worked hard enough. My dad's not impressed with me. I haven't impressed my boss. I can't take a holiday. I can't get away from work. I've got to work, 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 work. That's not God's plan. He created the Sabbath in the first two chapters of the Bible. He wants you to take a day of rest. Take it from a son of Pastor Billy Joe Doherty. My dad was my hero. I want to be everything that he was. But I'll never forget what he said in his final months of life. And maybe that's why I've shifted the way that I live my life. He said, I should have taken more rest days. He said, when I get out of this hospital, I'm going to start honoring the Sabbath better. And what he meant by that was, I'm not gonna take a day to go and work on a new book. I'm not gonna take a day off to go and work on a new sermon. That's not a Sabbath, that's work. I'm gonna take an actual day where I don't do any sermon prep or future book writing or meeting with people or doing things that were, like this was my dad's heart in that moment. And he said, we're gonna take time as a family to really rest. I'm gonna start practicing sabbaticals as a pastor. That was radical for my dad to talk about a sabbatical. Because in most church circles, there's a guilt and a shame connected to rest. And it leads to burnout. Emotionally unhealthy people, they run from their problems. They ignore anger and sadness. If you've ever seen the movie Inside Out, this is a great look. It's a cartoon movie, but man, it is powerful. It's a great look at what's going on inside you. It's rated G, so that's why I'm promoting it right now. <laughs> Emotionally unhealthy people, they spiritualize away conflict. They will not address issues with friendships and relationships. They cover up weakness. They deny any type of brokenness in their life. They live without any restrictions or limits for rest or their body. They judge other people's spiritual journey, always talking about others' flaws and rarely expressing their own. There's a major lack of self-awareness with people who are emotionally unhealthy. And so now we look at, okay, who who is responsible for the inside me? Who has God delegated the title deed of my heart to? Is it my mom's responsibility to guard my heart? Is, as a wife, is it my husband's responsibility to guard my heart? As a husband, is it my wife's responsibility to guard my heart? As a parent, is it my kid's responsibility to make me happy? Oh, okay, as an employee, is it my employer's job to determine where my heart is at? Who is in charge of my heart? Who's in charge of your heart? We are. 
Not even God is in charge of your heart. I don't know, that sounds like blasphemy. God is a gentleman and he gives you the power of free will and choice. And the same God that created Adam and said you could eat from that tree or from this tree, I'm not gonna control which tree you eat from, but the tree you eat from will determine the outcome of your life. In other words, Adam, you're in charge of yourself. You can sing all the songs you want, Lord, I give you my heart, but when you go home, you're responsible for your heart. God's not gonna come in there like a CIA agent, Mission Impossible, and go, I'm gonna control how he reacts to his wife here. I'm gonna control what he says to his body. I'm gonna control if he's sad or happy today. God gives you the power to choose. Well, they just made me so angry. Well, they just made me so sad. We are transferring the title deed of our heart to they, whoever they are. She just made me want to be shown. She did or you did? Well, it was her words. But we get to choose what we hang on to. Every day you're presented with two handles. Which handle will you grab? The handle of faith or the handle of fear? The handle of guilt or the handle of forgiveness? The handle of shame or the handle of righteousness? The handle of anger or the handle of forgiveness? The handle of hope or the handle of despair? You get to choose. God doesn't make you lift your arm up and choose the right handle. He says, it's your choice. My joy is my job. It's not Joel Osteen's job. It's not the church's job. It's not my wife's job. My joy is my job. That's biblical. It's theologically correct. Let's say it together. My joy is my job. If you believe in God's word, say, my joy is my job. God, Jesus said, I will give you joy and the world cannot take it away from you. I will give you peace and the enemy cannot steal it from you. The only way he gets it is if you give it away. So what God said is, I'm giving you this, but it's your choice to keep it. I'm giving you access to the fruits of the spirit, but it is your choice every day to either take captive of every wrong thought or to just let it sit there. You get to choose your mind, your heart. We've got to stop delegating our mind and heart to other people, to the church, to our pastor, to our spouse, to our kids, to our parents. And we've got to start taking a personal responsibility. Who's in charge of, of me protecting, having a healthy mind and a healthy heart? It's me. No one is going to manage my mind and heart better than me. Everyone else is trying to manage their own mind and heart. They don't have enough time to manage my emotions. Right? Am I right? Are you guys you're pretty busy taking care of your own mind and heart? I can't rely upon your compliments to keep me happy and secure. My insecurities are my responsibility. My lack of confidence and, 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 and trust in God is not your responsibility to, to convince me or persuade me or decide for me how to trust in God. I've got to choose. It's my choice. It's your choice. What you do tomorrow, what you do on your day off, it's your choice. And so we've got to start choosing the things that are going to get us to a healthy state in our mind and our heart. Number one, you've got to fight for your heart. Fight for your heart. You've got to fight for your heart. The heart is worth fighting for. The same way that you would fight for your children if someone messed with them and you show up as the dad, oh, you better not mess with my boy, my girl. I'm coming out there with the shotgun. You got to come out there with your heart. 
Y'all are like, he's crazy. No, I'm just a Tulsa, Oklahoma daddy. All right. <laughs> Born and raised right here in the Midwest. Come on. Uh, but the bottom line is you got to get radically, you got to become a fighter for your heart. In order to fight for your heart, you've got to own your emotions. I cannot guard what I do not own. Imagine if I was to sneak into Ronnie and Pam Cornwell's house over here who serve as amazing leaders in this service. Imagine if I was to sneak in at midnight to their house and try to insert an alarm system. And I start putting a fence around their house and a gate. And they come down in the middle of the night, turn the lights on. They're like, Paul, what are you doing in our house? Oh, don't worry. I'm just, I'm, I'm guarding it. It's not your house to guard. Yeah, yeah, don't worry. I got it. I know the code. So I'll type in the code anytime. I got a gate. Wait, what? They go like, you're crazy. We need to talk to your accountability partners and tell them to correct you and help you get back in the normal state. Right? And yet we do this with people. We put people in charge of our hearts. We ask people to guard our emotions. Or we ourselves, we cripple people by trying to protect them from feeling any type of pain or confronting any type of hurts or wounds. And we just kind of... We've got to start helping our kids so that when they turn 18, they're not incapable of dealing with pain or hurts or wounds. We've got to start helping other people to learn it's their personal responsibility to guard their hearts and minds. You've got to fight for it. David fought for it. David fought because he owned his emotions. He didn't delegate them to Bathsheba. He didn't delegate them to Solomon or Absalom. Man, if he would have, he would have been crazy. David dealt with some crazy, personal crazy, but he talked to himself and scientists have proven, I mean, the Bible had it right before the science, science is just catching up with Bible, but Psalm 42 verse five, David talks to himself. Scientists have proven that when you talk to yourself, you actually are strengthening your psychology, you're strengthening your heart, talking to yourself, saying the right things. David said, why am I discouraged? Why is my soul depressed? Why am I so sad? Why has this cloud of sadness been so persistent over my head and my heart? And then he tells himself, hold up. I'm owning this feeling. I'm not blaming it on my wife. My wife didn't make me sad. My kids didn't make me depressed. I feel depressed. I feel angry. I feel sad. It's no one else's fault except for mine. I'm taking personal. I'm, I'm going to stop blaming it on my dad. I'm going to stop blaming it on my mom. I'm going to stop blaming it on my boss. I'm going to stop blaming it. It is my responsibility for where I'm at. And now that I've recognized and I own my emotions, I'm now shifting it. Who turned off my brain? I'm turning it back on. I will put my hope in the Lord. Who turned off my heart? I guess I did. So I'm going to turn it back. I'm putting my hope back in God. David was talking to himself. He was saying, I got my down here. Now I'm going to lift my eyes up to the one who can get me out of here. Lord, I will look to you and I will praise you. Praise is a weapon against depression. In order to fight for your heart, you've got to own your emotions and you've got to start talking to your feelings. You got to start telling yourself, I am not staying here and I'm not blaming why I'm here on somebody else. It's no longer everybody else's fault that I'm mad and sad and lonely and offended and hurt and wounded and bitter and depressed. I'm going to own it. I got, I allowed myself to go there mentally, emotionally, and I am now shifting my emotions and thoughts. David did this in 1 Samuel 30, verse 1 through 7. He strengthened himself in the Lord. He was feeling discouraged. He was feeling overwhelmed. People wanted to get rid of him, and he started encouraging himself in the Lord. Everybody say, fight for your heart. 
Number two, fight for your mind. I want the keys to come out. Fight for your mind. Philippians 4, verse 6 through 8 says, Be anxious about nothing but in everything. Through prayer and supplication, offer your requests to God and fix your thoughts. In other words, displace thoughts of suicide. Displace thoughts of self-destruction. Displace thoughts of hurt and anger and murderous feelings towards another person. Displace that by fixing your thoughts on that which is true and pure and honorable and right and lovely. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Who's in charge of my thoughts? I am. The second you get that, I'm telling you things can start to change. I'm in charge of my thoughts. I'm in charge of switching my brain back on. It's going to require some spiritual and natural remedies, but I'm getting it back on. I'm getting out of this depression. I'm getting out of this cycle of despair. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on the Lord because he cares for you. You've got to cast it. There's a song we used to sing as kids with Salty. I will cast all my cares upon you and I'll lay all of my burdens down at your feet and anytime I don't know what to do. I had to pull the mic away. I will cast all my cares upon you. See, when I'm casting my cares on the Lord, I'm not carrying them. And you got to cast them every day. For me, I got to cast them like every hour. <laughs> Just being real. You got to fight for your mind. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says, we take captive every thought. We destroy every obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture the rebellious thoughts and we teach our minds to obey Christ. You've got to train your thoughts. You've got to train your mind. You've got to fight for your brain. You've got to go in there and go, okay, no, 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 that's not right. That's not normal. I've been thinking that for too long and that is not God's will for my life. I'm taking captive. I'm capturing the flag. I am getting aggressive to fight for my thoughts because my life will go in the direction of my thoughts and my emotions. What's in me will eventually come out of me. I've got to go into the mental strongholds of the mind and I've got to pull out the lies of the enemy that I've accepted in my thoughts. The enemy loves to whisper lies like you're a failure. You're never going to get that raise. They'll never like you. You'll never be accepted. You'll never have friends. You're never going to overcome your past. The enemy whispers the, the, the most ridiculous lies and he uses never and always. And Jesus combats never and always with a positive declaration. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I will never leave you nor forsake. So he takes always and never. He says, my love will always be with you. It will never fail you. I am patient. The Lord's mercy triumphs over his judgment. God has a bright future for you. His plans for you are good. They are to prosper you, to give you hope and a future. So I've got to combat those negative thoughts with positive thoughts. Paul said in Acts 26 verse 2, message version, I think myself happy. You can think yourself sad or you can think yourself happy. You can think yourself into a failure state or you can think yourself into a success state. By the way, you define success, not society. Success is not a big church with a lot of people or a big house or a nice car or a big salary. Success is obedience to God. If you're obeying God, you are a success. You're not a failure. God loves you. Doesn't matter how many followers you have on Instagram, how many views you have on YouTube. Doesn't matter how, what car you drive or what house you live in or how much money you make. If you're following Jesus, you are succeeding. And if you're not following Jesus, today you could start your success. 
because he has a future for you. He forgives you. Psalm 118 verse 24 says, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice in it. I fight for my mind, not with the big goal of I got to win my mind for the next year, but with the goal of I got to win my mind today. It's a 24 hour period. This is the day. If I can just today win in the mind, I can win tomorrow. But I don't need to focus about tomorrow. I need to focus on today. Today, I'm saying this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Number three, you've got to fight for relationships because depression and mental and emotional unhealthiness isolates itself. Isolation is a setup for destruction. We've got to fight to be together. Get in a connect group. Be around other believers. Be around people that will call it out when they see you shifting your behavior and you're acting a way you shouldn't act and you're saying things that are just depressed. You've got to have people in your life that go, man, I love you. I'm so thankful for my friends in my life, Daniel Henshaw and Aaron Johnson, many others in this room that are, that are there for me and I'm there for them. You've got to fight for relationships. You cannot have a healthy relationship if you only see each other once a year. Some people are living on past experiences with a friendship and they have not made any fresh investments. You've got to show up, you got to get together, do coffee once a month, do not rely on you know all your past. Daniel and I grew up together, AJ and I, we grew up together. We could rely on our sixth grade memories, but we're making new memories. We're hanging out together, went to a football game on Friday night. We're doing stuff together because we know relationship is important. It's important. It's essential for mental and emotional and spiritual health because mental and emotional health affect the spirit. Number four, you got to fight for servanthood, which means that you got to fight against a self-centered life. You've got to fight against the selfie-centered society that we're in. You've got to fight against the self-gratifying binges that you go on. I just need to eat more. I just need to do whatever's good for me. I need more pleasure. Restrictions are healthy for the soul. What have you told yourself no to lately? Or do you give yourself whatever you desire? Restrictions are healthy for us. As a kid, I relied on my parents' restrictions. They restricted me from when I could eat, how late I ate. They restricted me from what movies I watched, what music I listened to. They restricted me from certain things I would do. And I couldn't wait to turn 18 and get out of the house. And then I realized when I was like 22, those restrictions were good, they were protecting me. Because when you live with no restrictions, you say yes to everything, you start gratifying every selfish thought and feeling. And this is where people end up in the Me Too movement because they have no, is it okay if I'm just really real today? Okay, so when people have no restrictions, they just give themselves whatever they desire and they touch whatever they wanna touch and look at whatever they wanna, they end up doing things with that non-restrictive lifestyle that ends them up in places they never wanted to be. And so we have people with authority that have abused all their power and authority because they had no one in their life that told them no. So we need to take on the mindset of a servant. I'm not here to get something for me all the time and take whatever's good for me. I'm here to serve God and serve others. A servant mindset means I am here to help other people. I'm here to serve my wife, serve my kids, serve you. Servanthood takes away the selfish thought of I should just end it and just let everyone else live with the mess of what I leave behind. That's a selfish thought. Suicide is not God's will for your life. It's not God's plan for your life. You gotta combat it. Go to a homeless shelter, start serving soup. Go to the church, be an usher, agree to go to the Tulsa Dream Center, get involved, start giving out. When you're giving out, it changes your mind and your heart. Number five, fight to be fully alive. It is a fight to choose life. I choose. Irenaeus, the theologian said, it is the glory of God for man to be fully alive. When's the last time you actually were 
totally engaged with life? Can you remember the last time you were really there? Someone needs this right now. You've got to fight to wake up. You've got to fight to push past the pain. You've got to fight. I'm not saying the pain's going to disappear. Christianity is not a promise that you won't experience pain. It just means what Jesus said. There will be trouble, but take heart, my friends. You can overcome the world. We overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. So I fight past pain and I fight past hurts and I fight with forgiveness and I fight with peace and I fight for hope in my heart and I fight for joy because joy is my job and I fight to be present and I fight to show up and I fight to wake up and I fight to get out of bed and I fight to look at my kids in the eyes and actually listen to what they're saying and I fight to be here and I fight to lean in and I fight to be alive some of us have stopped fighting to be alive please your family needs you God needs you you are not here to go through life just existing God wants you to be fully alive number six final thought here fight for your worship fight for your worship because your worship is a weapon against mental illness your worship is a weapon against emotional illness something changes when I begin to praise I'll end real quick with my story when my father passed I went through a season after that not long after that of just a, a spiral of depression the only way I can describe it is imagine going into a house and instead of going upstairs you discover there's a basement and you start walking downstairs just one step at a time and then when you get to that basement, you see another door. And you're curious, you open that door, and, and there's another basement beneath that basement. And so you go down that basement. And now you're two floors below the first floor. And when you get to that second basement, you see there's another door, and you go down. For me, it was literally a spiral staircase, probably four floors below where I should have been. I had mentally and emotionally walked down to a fourth story basement I was down there man I was sitting in a chair in my mind and heart I was in a sunken state I was here on the outside but I was not here on the end you can smile when you have depression celebrities do it all the time I'm serious pastors do it Christians do it good Christians do it because you can, you can do it. You can put a smile on, but internally you're on the fourth floor of a basement sitting there, and it's dark. And I was walking one night during this season. I was walking by myself. One of the worst things you can do when you're depressed is, is be by yourself on a regular basis. I was by myself that night. And I was walking in the dark, and I came across a highway bridge, pretty tall bridge. And... I felt like the enemy was just shouting, just end it, man. Just jump. Just jump. Just be done with this. And I, I was standing there. I wish that I took 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 and demolished every stronghold and every thought. I wish I took 1 Peter 5, 7 and remembered the salty song. I will cast all my cares upon you and lay all of my burdens down at your feet. And anytime I don't know what to do. I had to pull the microphone away a little bit. I will cast all my cares upon you. I wish I would have remembered salty. I wish I would have remembered to cast my anxiety on God. I wish that I would have remembered to fight for my mind, but I stood there. 
I stood there for 10 minutes, man. I stood there just looking at the bridge. Why is nobody talking about this in the church? Like, honestly, in that moment, it would have been awesome to have a podcast of a preacher like this that just opened up about his own feelings and thoughts with depression. And maybe that's why I'm doing it this weekend, because I want some kid 10 years from now to see this message on YouTube and walk away from the bridge. Maybe one college guy, one soldier who came back from fighting, maybe some husband or wife out there. I just don't hear it. And we got to break the silence and the stigma in the church. You're not messed up. You're just walking through something that you need freedom. And God wants you to have freedom. But I was there and I was standing there and I was looking over the bridge. And I felt, man, like just imagine four stories below the first floor. I'm sitting in a chair. And I'm down in this basement, below a basement, below a basement, below a basement. So even to get out of there, I've got to get out of the next basement. I've got to keep crawling up more steps and stairs to get out. But I'm sitting there and all I can think about is I felt like something was leaking from the first floor. Something started leaking through the, the first basement, the second basement, the third basement, and the fourth basement. Something started to touch me there on the bridge. The scripture, you will train a child up in the way they should go and they will not depart from it. I started remembering some, some words that my parents had spoken over. My dad was gone. That was part of the depression was I was missing my dad. We were going through tough times as a church. I was feeling the weight, the pressure. I've never had a moment like this before and haven't had one since and I pray I never do. But I remember standing there, I felt this leak of like hope was, was leaking on my head and I started thinking, well, well, no, my life is valuable. No, no, why would I do this? No, I, I, I have a purpose. God's not finished with me yet. And, and it's one thing to think it, but you got to speak it. You've got you've to start declaring praise and worship is a weapon against depression. So the sixth point here is you've got to fight for your worship because the enemy wants you to just declare things that aren't true, declaring the lies of the enemy over your future. You've got to start declaring those, those words. I'm not going back. I'm moving ahead. I'm here to declare to you, my past is over in you. All things are made new. Surrender my life to Christ. I'm moving, moving forward. I was standing there on that bridge. And guys, I promise you in this moment right now, I'm not lying, in the darkness, I stood up and I said, no devil. I rebuke you. You lose, Satan. You lose. I choose to live. I choose to live. I choose to live. I refuse to jump. I refuse to die. I refuse to quit. I refuse to throw in the towel. I choose to live. I'm going to live. I'm going to live. I'm going back home to my wife. I'm going to kiss her. I'm going back home to fight for my mind. I'm turning my brain back on. I'm turning my heart back on. I'm waking up from this sunken state. I'm climbing out of this basement. And I'm climbing out of the next basement. And I'm climbing out of the fourth basement. I'm getting back up. I'm getting back up. I'm done.
Would you stand to your feet all over this place? You gotta fight. You gotta fight. You are valuable. Your life is valuable. We need you. God has a plan for you. There's people in your life that love you, man. There's Christian counselors that can help you. There's natural and spiritual remedies to break some of the mental strongholds you've been walking through. I said this scripture, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. We demolish every thought that sets itself up against God's plan for our life. We take captive every wrong emotion and feeling. Suicidal thoughts are not from God. Suicidal thoughts are not from God. Defeated, hopeless thoughts are not from God. We fix our thoughts on things that are praiseworthy and true and noble and bring God glory. As the mind goes, the life goes. You've got to take captive thoughts in your mind. As the heart goes, the life goes. You've got to guard your emotions. You've got to stop stifling and sweeping everything under the rug. You've got to confront it. You've got to talk about it. Sit down with somebody. Open up. Get in a connect group. Go to a Christian counselor. Start eating again because depression drains the appetite so go get something to eat go and just take a day off go walk by a lake go stand somewhere just to admire God's creation just for a moment do a few other things while you're reading your Bible and praying go laugh go wake up again some of us are here but we haven't actually been here for 13 years there's someone in this room you've been physically here but you've been mentally checked out someone who's watching this online maybe now or years from now and your whole family's been waiting for you to wake up. They're like, man, we haven't seen dad in 10 years. No, 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 he's here. He's, I mean, he's watching TV in the living room. He's watching every NFL game he can watch. But we haven't, we haven't felt him. We haven't felt his emotions. Someone turned off his brain. Someone turned off his heart. He stopped laughing. He stopped crying. He hasn't actually looked us in the eyes and really felt like he was there. Someone needs this right now, man. You got to come back to who God made you to be. The road back to you. It's a long road, but it's worth walking. Some of you have walked so dark down into despair. You might even be in the eighth basement. But there's hope. There's a leak. And maybe this video, maybe this sermon, maybe this podcast, maybe it's a leak. And it's coming down into the basement. I see a man who's just sitting in a chair. I see a wife who's just sitting in a chair. I see a college student. I see a teenager and everyone's told you, you just need more of Jesus. And that's true. But there's parts of this message that God's saying, you need some of this too. You need some of this too. You need to talk to somebody. You need to throw away that gun. And you need to start walking up those stairs. There's hope. Go one floor up. There's more hope. Go another floor up. It's not going to be fast. There's probably not an elevator over there. But you could start walking. Start walking. One step at a time. I win the battle against depression one day at a time. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice today. I'm in charge of my joy. So today I'm going to choose joy. I can't win it if I'm thinking I got to win it over the next 10 years because that's a big intimidating factor. There's someone today you've been trying to battle depression by trying to beat it once and for all. You just got to win today. You just got 24 hours. Psalm 119 says this is the day the Lord has made. So every day this week, try to just win in one 24-hour period. 
not to go down in that basement. Just try to walk up out of the basement. Just one day. Lord, I choose today to take control of my thoughts, my emotions. Lord, I choose today to displace thoughts of suicide and fear and stress and, and, and traumatizing feelings and memories of the past. I choose today to take control of my mind, my emotions, my thoughts, my heart. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here right now and you know this message was for you and you know God's speaking to you and you know it's time that you start fighting for your mind and your heart and your mental and emotional health. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand today all over this room. Men, women, soldiers, veterans, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, grandparents, teenagers, college students, whoever you are, principals, teachers, coaches, pastors, leaders, believers, whoever you are out there, God's calling to you. He's saying, I still see you down there. I see you from far away and I'm calling your name today. Come up come out. I want to pull you out of that pit of despair. Lift your eyes up to the heavens where your help comes from. If you're raising your hand or you should have raised your hand, come and join me at this altar. Come on, just come and join me. We cannot win the battle without Jesus. We cannot win it. Even though I said what I said, Jesus is the one that will help us. You do need counseling. You may need medicine as well. You do need these other natural remedies, but you can't do it without Jesus. You gotta get Jesus involved in your fight. He will help you win. Through a relationship with Jesus, we can begin to walk in freedom and victory. In Luke 13, there was a woman who had been bent over for 18 years. It said she was bent over because of an evil spirit. I don't know if the spirit was from the house she grew up in, the abusive words of her dad, or the abusive actions of her husband. But somehow this woman was bent over. She wasn't born bent over. You were not born with a disorder. You were not born sexually confused. You were not born not knowing what gender you are or what sexual preference. You were not born with confusion. You were born a child of God. This is not natural. God says, I have a calling for your life. But you got to fight against those unnatural attacks that are happening in your heart and your mind. So Jesus calls this woman out who wasn't born bent over, but somehow in life she became bent over. Things had knocked her down. And he says, woman, she had been called cripple all her life. Jesus was finally looking past her diagnosis. Jesus doesn't call us by our diagnosis. You are not defined by your diagnosis. You are not a depressed person. You are not an alcoholic. You are not a cocaine addict. You are not a sex addict. You are not a pornography addict. You are a child of God. You are a man. You are a woman. You are a young man, a young woman. You are someone God chose to live on this earth for a purpose, with a purpose. And Jesus looks at her and says, woman, thou art loosed. Woman. You are free from your shame, free from your oppression, free from your depression, free from your suicidal thoughts, free from the abuse of your dad, free from the abuse of your husband, free from the words that have been spoken over you, free from your self-condemning thoughts. You are free, free to straighten up, free to rise up, come out of that basement. You were not born to live down in depression. Rise up. And in that moment, the woman rose up. And today that's happening for someone here. There's a woman. God's straightening some things in your emotions, in your mind. There's a man. There's a veteran. There's a pastor. There's a leader. He's saying, I love you. I love you. I'm for you. I'm with you. 
I got a hope for you. I got a future for you. Don't throw it away. Dr. Tim, will you come up and lead us in a prayer? Dr. Tim is a Christian psychologist, counselor, counselor. And I feel like you are anointed to help people win in their minds and hearts. And today, would you pray a prayer over all those people here today that are battling in the mind, the emotions, the thoughts? Thank you, Paul, for taking on this really difficult subject. I've heard so many times over the years, people in my office that have hurt and didn't feel like they could talk about it at church. And thank you so much for being obedient. The enemy wants to isolate us. He wants us to believe the lie that, that we're alone, that he, and that we have somehow uh, alienated ourselves from his love. And what he wants us to know today is that there's no place we can go, that he isn't right there with us. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this message of hope. Thank you, Lord, that you reached down into the areas of our hearts and our minds that are, that are broken. Lord, we live in a fallen world and we're not completely free from its effects. But thank you, Lord, that you have done the eternal work, the work that sets us free, the work that provides the ability for us to come into your presence and experience not only healing in our bodies, but really healing in our souls where we need to experience your touch and your grace. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done through the work of, of your son. Thank you, Father, for this time of, of healing that just begins today, Lord. It, does, it starts here at the altar, but Lord, it, it's walked out as we look to you each day, like Paul said, one day at a time, we fight for this day. And Lord, I pray that you will renew our minds and that you will transform us as we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of y'all received that today?